It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 543 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. As always, thanks so much for listening. This week I have a special guest in Chris Ryle. He's the co-creator of a terrific book called Groom Lake, Gray Skies Above. And it's coming out from zoop.gg, which you can support right now. Here's how it's described on the website. Written by co-creator Chris Ryle and illustrated by Nelson Daniel with additional art by Ben Templesmith, this all-new tale shows you that those Tic Tac UFO videos aren't anything to worry about compared to what's really coming our way. All that and the true secret behind Archibald and his blobby companion too. We talk about how the book came to be and about what the future holds for Groom Lake. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy what he has to say. There's a lot to get to in this episode. So let's get on with the show. It's great to welcome to the podcast Chris Ryle, who is the co-owner of a new imprint through Image Comics called, let me see if I get this pronounced right. The good thing is it's, it's, yeah, it's whatever people want it to be. That's what it is. Syzygy, uh. <laughs> right? Yeah, Syzygy. When, when we first named the imprint, um, and the name came from my partner, Ashley Wood, who likes odd names for all of his books and things, mm-hmm. um, the three things we heard from people were we can't pronounce it, we can't spell it, and we can't define it. So why are you picking that name? And and there it is. <laughs> it's like Cthulhu. For the longest time, I couldn't pronounce it, and I still can't spell it. Yeah. But, uh, I, you know, so, so anyway. So anyway, the reason why we're talking is not to talk about the name of the <laughs> of the organization, but it's actually to talk about you have a zoop.gg project going on for crowdfunding, and it follows up on a book you had done back in, like, 2009 called Groom Lake, and this is a follow-up to it called Groom Lake, Gray Skies Above. Yes. Well, Groom Lake was a book that Ben Templesmith, who was the original artist and co-creator on the book, um, he and I did that, yeah, it, a little bit over a decade now. Um, and what it was, was I'm kind of a UFO nerd, and so I I liked all the stories and rumors and, and conspiracy theories and all the stuff around the UFO community, and so I wanted to tell a story with that as its backdrop, um, not making fun of it, but just kind of playing off all of it and sort of telling a story involving different aliens. I'll try and it was sort of a great escape kind of story with them trying to get out from under this base in uh, the dry lake bed, Groom Lake in Nevada um, in Area 51. And we peppered in a lot of these kind of details and, you know, nods to rumors and, and, you know, the stories and things like that, that, if you're a UFO guy, then great, you picked up on it. And if you didn't, it didn't take away from the story, but it was just kind of there as a little bit of extra fun for people that are kind of steeped in the lore. 
Mm -hmm. Well, let me read what the description is at, on Zoop.gg. It says that it's for this book, it, it's 10 years after Archibald escaped from the secret base under Groom Lake. The once destroyed base is showing new signs of life. A conspiracy theorist warns that the majestic 13 abductees are being returned to Earth as part of a horrific alien-human swap, and maybe worst of all, a new feature <laughs> A new feature film about alien presages, even more devastating consequences for Archie and his handlers. You, you're coming up with words I don't know how to pronounce, unfortunately. <laughs> no, What's I a presage? You, I think you nailed it. I think that was a perfect reading. Okay. Presage. That means like uh, predict or? Handler. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Kind of lays the groundwork for that sort of thing. Um, okay. And Archibald was our, he was sort of the lead alien in the first book. He's this little gray alien that was. This kind of genial base worker at at the base under Groom Lake, um, little gray alien that like he smoked two cigarettes at a time because nothing, nothing really had a negative effect on him the way it does on humans. And so he mm -hmm. was he's just kind of amused by humanity's foibles. And so he was kind of the the ultimate outsider kind of point of view, just made fun of a lot of things and just sort of saw the ridiculousness in uh, in, in humanity, essentially. And so he was a lot of fun to play with. And so he's kind of the lead character here where he, you know, he made his way out of the base in the first book. And now it picks up a decade later where he's just trying to have a normal life. But of course a great alien and his handlers are never going to have a normal life. Uh, especially in today's world of even crazier conspiracy theories. Well, if I saw correctly, I saw a couple of pages, I think, and there's actually like a sci-fi convention. Yeah. It opens at this UFO festival that is, is, it looks ridiculous, but it's a way closer to the reality of the UFO conventions than, uh, <laughs> so it's more of a nonfiction kind of setting where I, you know, I've been to some of those UFO and the MUFON network festivals, the, the mutual UFO network festival, um, where they're, you know, they're the guest speakers who claim they were abducted or they claim they were visited by angels or, you know, it, you go down a ton of rabbit holes and it's just that you do all this in person at these shows instead of uh, watching the YouTube videos. And so it's, it's fascinating. And so, yeah, it was a fun, a fun back into the story. It reminds me a little bit about resident alien on sci-fi. The, the main character is he goes to a, with an earthling, he goes to a UFO convention. Yeah. And, yeah. and he's constantly going around saying, well, that's not correct. Well, that's <laughs> not right. Why are they doing it like that? You know, kind of stuff. Which is that's, kind a, of fun. that's a great comic too. That, and that show is a lot of fun. But so what's funny about that, about the, the details not being correct is um, the first volume of the book, the trade paperback, I got the author Whitley Stryber, Streber, um, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name um, <laughs> to write the introduction for the book. And Whitley's the author of the book communion, which is made into the movie with Christopher Walken way back where it's all about Whitley's um, experiences, you know, being abducted and meeting aliens. And so he's had this decades long career of writing about his paranormal experiences. And so he wrote the intro for our book and he, he kind of did the same thing where he pointed out the things that I got right, the things that were inaccurate um, you know, he even mentioned that the alien probe that we showed in the first book wasn't quite large enough to be, uh, to be real. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't know how much of what he says is, is farcical or not, but he certainly is convincing when he says it. So, you know, he's, he's very good at what he does. Well, I have a friend of mine who believes in mythological characters and she gets very upset when the Marvel puts out a Thor movie. 
because that's not Thor. That's not the way Thor looks. Thor looks much a lot different than that. Oh, she she wants the red bearded, beer drinking kind of misogynist Thor from Norse yeah. mythology. Yeah, <laughs> that's what she's looking for, and she gets very angry that they don't get it right. And I mean, I'm, it's I'm a harder always... sell with the original, you know, Norse myth Thor. Like that guy was uh, was not a family friendly four quadrant kind of character. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. But but she's so determined that he should be that way. And I'm always like, it's a comic. Don't worry about that. I mean, that just tells me she's one of us, you know, because we're the ones who are nitpicking <laughs> the movies because they're not accurate to the comics. So, so yeah, I understand the thinking. Yeah, it's really great. I, I got a huge kick out of that because, uh, well, about your book makes me really laugh is because, you know, Aliens, when it comes to science fiction, are always the uh, outside perspective looking at humanity. Uh, if you go back, like Star Trek Deep Space Nine had Odo, and he always commented on how humans did things and stuff like that. So I, it's, a, it's a great tradition that you're, you're tying into because uh, there's, there's plenty to poke fun at in the human race. And I love the fact that he smokes. That just makes me laugh. I- yeah, and it was always two cigarettes at once. Um, and in fact, Whitley tried telling me that every alien he ever met smoked cigarettes, just chain smoked because uh, <laughs> they were also amused by it. And again, like he says these things like they're matter of fact. And mm-hmm. there's a part of you that's like, come on, man. But then there was a part of you that's like, man, he's really convincing. He's <laughs> the wonder. Yeah. He really believes that. That's, that's the great yeah. thing about it. So that's you know, hey, if he believes that, all you know, more power to him. That's all I can say. Yeah. Now the, there's a video on the Zoop.gg that shows Archibald, and then you can you can see you talk about the series. And I, I'm kind of interested. Is Archibald kind of? I always thought that uh, the the Greys, as, as some people refer to them, were a lot taller. He seems to be a, a very small. Or short kind of an alien. Is he part of a specific group of the Greys or something? And that that's why he looks the way he does. No, I mean it was sort of the the prevailing rumors about the Greys. Like the the majority of them describe them as like childlike in size, and so I I sort of set him that he was around four feet tall, just because I felt like that was a bit more cartoony too. You know, he's got mm-hmm. the big head and the big eyes and the tiny slit mouth, but he's got feet that are kind of like. Um, Sideshow Bob, you know, like yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of curious about that because you know Stargate had the Greys were kind of about four or five feet tall, and they were like, and one of them actually was Thor, you know, talking about Thor. Yeah, and I got a huge kick out of that, and I I love the alien stuff. I got to see uh, through uh, Amazon a couple of the of uh, the first pages of the first book. And I got a huge kick. There's a, a, a obviously a uh, there's a term that we like to use for that kind of person, but they don't like it, and so we should say he's kind of a uh, country guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was, and what it was was it opened on a scene that was kind of playing off the old story about Betty and Barney Hill, who was they were the interracial couple in the mid '60s that uh, claimed they were abducted, and you know they did the whole hypnotic regression thing, and <clears throat> You know, since then, there have been all kinds of stories that kind of speculate what they actually saw. But, you know, they maintained that they saw aliens and were abducted and all that. And so I kind of pick up with the same thing out in New Hampshire, like rural New Hampshire, a guy out on the highway, you know, comes across this craft and is abducted. And it sort of sets the whole story in motion from there. Yeah. And he... um 
Uh, <laughs> you got to be worried when aliens tell you, don't worry, you won't be harmed. So, right, especially when they thing? repeat it so many times. You're like, well, yeah. wait a second. They're <laughs> trying to convince you that that's the case. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I had to laugh when I saw that. And then, of course, the bad news, they take him inside the craft. And the first thing that happens is he's inside the craft. He's naked on the table. And yeah, I'm in what, the air and the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, and the next thing that happens, of course, uh, I love the way it's done. You know, he goes, oh, no, no, no. It's a great thing. We don't have to see it. We can imagine what's going on. What's funny but, about it is so when I originally wrote the story, like it was a darker sort of more, I don't know, serious conspiracy laden kind of thing. And Ben mm-hmm. Templesmith has, you know, he's, he's done books like Wormwood and stuff where he's got a real good dark sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so he said, let's, let's lighten this up a bit, but also push the humor a bit more and kind of be more extreme. And so, yeah, the, the overly kind of cartoonish probe that comes down from the ceiling was, uh, was a Ben specialty. <laughs> well, I, I felt for the poor guy because I'm sure that, uh, I, uh, we have a fair idea what probably happened. Uh, yeah, and so what it did is it, it sort of resulted in changing his DNA, and then that uh, it leads to then the, the government finding his kid decades later and then bringing his kid to the base to see if he's got any kind of you know mutation in him, and then that's where he meets this um, alien Archibald, and he meets Archibald's handler, Roberta, and then they, they all sort of try to make their way out of this base while meeting all these other crazy aliens. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to say, I, I, since I didn't get to read the first one, why is he called Archibald? So again, this is kind of ridiculous, but I was listening to this, um, this audio tape of some, some, I don't know, former military guy who claimed that he had an alien that, that was the basis for Spielberg doing the movie ET and that the alien lived with him and that there was an alien that worked at, at the basic room Lake. And the, that alien was called Archibald and so I just picked up that name um, again, like not a thing that anybody who hasn't gone deep down the rabbit hole would ever know, but it was at least having sort of the basis in existing rumors, if nothing else. What's the balance in this book between like humor versus dark, you know, alien kinds of things? Is there, does it, is it mostly dark and then every once in a while you get a bit of humor? Yeah, I mean, Archibald is is kind of funny, just the way he talks. Like, he has sort of broken English, and his view of the world and, and people in it is, you know, just he has kind of a sense of the absurd. And so he's kind of like this almost running commentary of absurdity and not taking even real serious threats seriously because he's of a mind that really nothing can harm him. And so he just – he's sort of blasé about all of it while there's that this, this these dark situations going on around him, but – you know, he travels with a little blob character that that consumes things and people and planes. And um, so it's it's a serious story. Like it doesn't make fun of any of this, but it does kind of try to keep a good sense of humor about it as well. Well, even as the aliens are making fun of humans, we get to enjoy some of the oddness of the aliens as well. Yeah. And so I, I, I tried to use a bunch of the the sort of you know, air quote, known aliens, like the gray alien, the blob. There's a robot that's reminiscent of the day the earth stood still robot. Um, there's a couple ETs, you know, and in the sequel, then we play off some of the other rumored aliens, you know, the, the tall, like angel, like figures. Um, the, there's a Mothman. So yeah, you know, again, just trying to, to bring in bits of, of 
the real stories that are out there um, and, and just work them into this story where it makes sense. Okay. How big was the book? Was this like a graphic novel, the, the first one? It was originally four issues, yeah. So when it was collected, it was about 88 pages of story. Okay. And uh, it was printed by? By who? IDW back, uh, yeah, I think the trade paper oh. came out about 2010. Okay. All right. But you had the rights to it, right? Yeah. It was a book that I co-created with Ben. And so it was originally um, with Ben and IDW. Then when I left IDW, bunch of the projects that I had done there, you know, came with me. So now I'm, I'm sort of free to, to do what I'd like with it. Oh, cool. Okay. Well, that's great. Cause every once in a while, uh, creators, especially on, on uh, you do your own kind of thing, build your own worlds and it's fun. You know, once you do it and then of course real life gets in the way and you can't really get back to it, but then opportunity presents itself and you get to go back and do it like you're doing right now. And that that's so great because so many creators I know regret that they never got to do that. But here you are getting to do that kind of a thing. I mean, what's that like for you? Because, you know, you've juggled a lot of projects in your day. What's it like to be able to go back and hit this one in particular? I mean, this is one that I like. This is one of the favorite things that I did, especially because of Archibald. Like, he was just such a fun character to inhabit, you know, and I, I managed to use him a couple other times. Um like when there were some big sort of intercompany crossover events, you know, we did this big thing called infestation that involved Ghostbusters and Transformers and Star Trek and zombies mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And so I did a a one shot that had Archibald essentially sitting in a pub alongside Batboy from the Weekly World News, and they're just kind of drinking and watching the insanity of this big crossover going on outside the bar, and again just. Sort of commenting on so it. That's and, pretty good. That he seems like a fun character. Do we know how old he is? No, we don't yet, but we will. In uh, there, there's a few revelations about Archibald in this uh, in the new book um, that mm-hmm. hopefully are are a bit shocking and surprising to people. Okay, so look forward to that. That'll be fun to do. Of course, you've had now uh, over a decade to consider all this and put these things together. So that must be a lot of fun to do that. I've revisited it not only in those one shots, but I actually wrote a full Groom Lake screenplay that uh, I submitted to a contest and won an award for. But, it, you know, it, nothing ever happened with it. But in that, you, you kind of when you think about the original story and adapting it, you tend to change some things along the way. And so there were things I did in there that I really wanted to bring into a comic series. And so I have been thinking about the sequel for quite some time now. Is that where the feature film comes from? No, that was more. Um, so there, there are some again, some other UFO rumors that ET was a thing that the government reached out to Spielberg and asked him to do this, uh, to do this film to kind of get the public being more accepting to the idea of of alien. You know, it's again like you can go deep down these rabbit holes, and so I just tried to pull. I tried to skim off the surface without spending three hours watching crazy ranting YouTube videos. Um, Mm -hmm. But, but yeah, it was kind of that idea that uh, I found it amusing that people would think that the government was, was, you know, tapping Hollywood to not only, you know, fake the moon landing, but also try to, to, to make people more amenable to the idea of aliens coming to earth. Mm, So if they get probed, they're, they're more open to it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a popular thing now. Oh, gee. Oh, gee. All I can think of is, ow, <laughs> ow, that kind of stuff. I, um, ah. 
But uh, well, now you, you've changed artists on this. Uh, is, is it because the original artist is not available right now? I mean, Ben's doing his own thing, although he is helping out on this. He's doing a new cover and he's doing some other things around it to, uh, to help benefit the campaign. But yeah, I'm working with a guy named Nelson Daniel, who I've worked with a number of times. Um, he and I did a book called String Divers before that was kind of a takeoff on Micronauts. And he did these these crazy inventive and creative and cool looking visuals of sort of like microspace or, you know, going deep, deep down into atomic, you know, subatomic levels. Um, and he's always been really good at hitting kind of comedic, but, but inventive and also some real scary moments. You know, he and I also did a Stephen King project together called road rage. Um, I, I just love his stuff and I love how smart and fun and, and, like I say, kind of comically inventive his layouts are. I think his coloring is is just unique and sort of second to none in this business now. And so I love working with him. So we've been trying to find a good thing to do together again. You were talking in the video on Zoop.gg about the fact that he mixes um, like lighthearted with dark really well. Yeah. So, so, cause Archibald can essentially walk on air, you know, he's, he's not really bound to the same, gravitational forces that we are and so he does things where where you'll see the character kind of i don't know the poses are are very naturalized they're not they're not stiff they're not a character trying to fly around they're just i don't know they make me laugh even at the layout stage they make me laugh and so i just think he has the perfect kind of tone a perfect attention to detail on these things to really build out a scene or build out characters in fun ways i just i like i say i love working with him can you say other st- things that projects that he's worked on? Yeah, so he did. So the books that I wrote that he worked on were um, a book called Road Rage that was adapting a Stephen King Joe Hill short story. Um, that was it was basically their tribute to the old movie Duel. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was a biker gang getting you know run down by this uh, lunatic truck driver. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a graphic novel called String Divers. And he also drew about, uh, I want to say, the first 25 issues of the Judge Dredd series that IDW did with um, hmm. writer Dwayne Swarzynski. Oh, wow. Okay, that's pretty cool stuff. He's got a nice variety of, of work under his belt. So yeah, and then, cool. you know, just as a colorist, too, he uh, he colored the Little Nemo Return to Slumberland book with artist Gabriel Rodriguez that won an Eisner Award. Um, he colored Zach Howard's Wild Blue Yonder and then recently he's done a couple books at Legendary. He did a Detective Pikachu graphic novel and he did a, um, oh God, the, uh, the, the, after all remembering all those titles, I just drew a blank on uh, Pacific Rim. He did a Pacific Rim graphic novel as well. Oh, good. Wow. So yeah, he, he's all done a lot. He's really good. Wow. He does all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So that's great. So uh, are you guys, have, have you completed the book right now? No, we're well into it. Um, in fact, I just got another set of layouts from him today on, on a group of pages. And like I say, they just make me smile. So the thing I'm eager about with this campaign is that when these pages come in, that now, you know, when you do a book through a publisher, you kind of need to adhere to marketing campaigns and not stepping on the PR people, not sharing stuff too soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's like I can get a good page in and I can share it with the backers and show everybody right away and kind of just share the excitement that I'm feeling when I see his stuff. So I like that immediacy and that, that ability to just, you know, talk directly to the audience too. Oh, cool. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun to do that. Now, Archibald, he, he's part of a group though, right? 
Well, he's so he's trying not to be, but there is this group in this book called the Majestic 13, which mm-hmm. there's an old UFO, you know, conspiracy theory about this government group called the Majestic 12 that was involved in all kinds of, uh, you know, speculative UFO types of things and <laughs> mind control and stuff like that. And so I just, mm-hmm. again, just playing off of that, there's a group of, of alien human hybrids called the Majestic 13, where actually the some of the backers can you know, will show show up in the book as those characters. And, you know, if you thought the probing stuff in the first book was disturbing, like these characters have been, they've been put through hell as well. And there's mm. the alien hybrid, alien human hybrid uh, system did not necessarily take for all of them. Oh, wow. Okay. So that'll be, I, I guess there's varying levels of alien and human in, in different characters. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll be interesting to see how he does that, because yikes, uh, you know, I, I, getting probed is bad enough, but uh, siring yeah, DNA spliced uh, with, with something that maybe isn't necessarily fully compatible is uh, is a whole other mess to deal with. Eek! Uh, uh, that's going to be something to see how they deal with that. I mean, do we get to see who the humans, or the original humans, are in this process, or, or is that something we just don't see? Oh, you do. And in fact, yeah, there's kind of a swap going on where, where these aliens that have taken the humans, you know, years ago, the original abductees have, have sort of, they've outlived their usefulness. And so now the government is taking people off the street to kind of conduct the next group of humans that they're trading for, for some things that we'll see within the book. Oh, wow. So there's a, there's a, okay. I'm, I'm trying to understand how the, this Archibald is separate from this other group. That, that's yeah. Like he, he wanted nothing to do with any of this. He, mm-hmm. he, he was kept, I mean, he didn't think of it as being a prisoner at the time because he didn't know any better, but now that he's experienced freedom outside of this base, like he, he wants nothing to do with any of that. He just wants to kind of live and watch TV and smoke and eat chocolate and not deal with, uh, you know, the stuff the government was putting him through. And, and unfortunately, you know, it's not so easy to, to find a normal life when you're, you know, not from this planet. So he wants to be a human, basically. He wants to hang out with humans anyway. And he didn't get to do <laughs> that before, or at least not normal humans. Okay. So that that's going to be interesting to see how it goes. Does he, so he's, he's on, he's on his own or is he part of a human group now? He's yeah, he's with, so the, the, Former abductee in the first book, his son, Carl, who was kind of the lead human male character in the first book, and then Mm -hmm. Archibald's handler, Roberta, like kind of end up together at the end of the book. And Mm -hmm. so they go off with Archibald and they try to form kind of a a little family type community of those three. And, you know, Mm -hmm. it it doesn't work. It doesn't go so well. (laughs) Of course, human groups often have troubles too. So, uh, yeah, they, and I mean, it doesn't help. So, Archibald's other friend is this blob character that he's immune to. But I mean, otherwise, anything the blob touches, it dissolves and eats right through. And so, it's it's very lethal very quickly. And he kind of uses it sort of like that old children's book, Harold and the Purple Crayon. Um, mm-hmm. He uses the blob like the crayon, except anything he draws or makes with it, you know, has incredibly destructive consequences. Mm. Something to look forward to. Um, why, I'm just curious as to why it's called Gray Skies Above. Well, so he's a gray alien. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're, there's there's in the skies above, there are these aliens that are returning to Earth and bringing back these human-alien hybrids. And, 
you know, it also plays off an old 80s song, which I, I tend to try to name a lot of my my comic story titles after songs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so something we, we can look forward to. Now, as far as, uh, is this going to be a self-contained story? Do you have ideas for more Groom Lake after this? It is, and I do, yeah. It was set up <laughs> as a 72-page graphic novel. It's probably going to end up closer to 80. Um but there is, uh, you know, depending on the reception, like if it works and if people like it and want to see more, like I have the next, I have the next book all planned out. Cool. Well, one of the great things about this uh, campaign is that you make available that first book, which is something that, that I want to make sure I get because I'm interested to see how, you know, how those two go together and, and, and kind of things like that. So I think that's a great thing to do. And you were talking about the fact that you can get drawn into the comic that is i i did that once in a book and i think every comic fan really wants to end up in the comic sometime and so i think that's going to be a very popular uh part of the campaign yeah and i've so. done that before too i've backed books where i've gotten drawn as a character but it's a lot of times it's a tiny little background scene or something in this case i wanted like there's a list of the majestic 13 so everybody's named you know their name is prominent they're mm-hmm featured players within the story. So it's not just a single page cameo, but uh, you know, they're a, a viable part of the story being told. Mm. The one where I got into was the one where they had a, a Moby Dick was a zombie whale and the ship that was after him had all kinds of zombie sailors in it. And I, I was able to afford at that time to be able to buy it. And so I got drawn in as one of the zombie sailors and I got a huge kick out of that. I, I saved that now. That's fun. Yeah, I actually I've done zombie uh, giant squids, but I've never done a jo- zombie whale in a story yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be great fun to see. Now, um, this is going to end in mid July. Uh, yep. Yeah, thirty day campaign. I mean, hopefully it uh, you know it, it gets support to allow us to make this book, and and we can have some fun with it. Yeah, yeah. So that's going to be great fun to see how. Uh, why was it that you came to Zoop to do this? I'm kind of curious because I always, I'm I'm a big fan of Zoop and how how they do it. And I'm always interested as to why people come and choose to get their projects done with them. So I've never, I mean, I've I've overseen crowdfunding campaigns back at IDW, but not directly. Like I've never, I've never done crowdfunding myself. And so now that mm-hmm. I'm kind of out in the wild and doing my own thing. Um, mm-hmm especially running this imprint at, at image, you know, it's me and my, my partner, Ashley Wood, but it's a ton of work. Cause we're not only doing our own stuff, but I'm, I'm doing a lot of books with other people too. And so the idea that Zoop would, would sort of come in and bear some of the heavy lift and do some of the, the parts of things that, that pull you away from other parts of making the book um, was just really appealing to me. Like, I liked that it was a bit more of a full service kind of thing. And mm-hmm. You know, I came from a a background with a full service publisher, so I just like the idea of collaborating with a number of people and everybody sort of bringing their individual skills to to help make a project even better. Well, it allows you to be uh, more of a creator instead of having to do a lot of the other stuff. Yeah, which is nice because I'm so used to doing a lot of the other stuff that it'll be nice to uh, to sort of really keep my focus on this one. Yeah, it's going to be great fun to do because it's one of the things creators always struggle with. Is like, particularly like doing what, like what you're doing now, talking to me and doing advertising for it. I've always heard from people who do like Kickstarters and things like that, that you have to really advertise to where you feel uncomfortable <laughs> doing it. 
Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you know, get get over your shyness and just go out there and dance in front of people. But I mean, the the, the nice thing about it for me is like having done comics for as long as I have. Like, I love. I mean, one of the things I love the most is talking to the fans and and you know just being able to sort of speak directly to them, whether it's at conventions or online or or I don't know through email. Like, that's a big part of the thing that I've always enjoyed is that kind of dialogue and so again that's what i really like about this is the ability to to do more of that because i help out with an indie comic and i was i was with the creator i'm, I'm kind of the editor I, I just make sure the commas are in the right place and i was at a convention with them and this guy comes up to me great big tall guy says oh, i love your comic your comic is so great i said go talk to him he's the <laughs> creator because he needs to hear that because yeah. a lot of creator creator people are insecure yeah, and it's like these. when people right when you do something and and somebody tells you that they respond well to it, like there's there's not really much more that's more gratifying than that. Because mm-hmm. we were at another, we were at a store, and we were talking, and, and and the lady who was behind the counter just seemed uninterested until all of a sudden he mentioned the name of the book, and she dropped everything and ran around the counter and she threw her arms around him. That's my favorite book. She goes, and he was like, oh. <laughs> Yeah, and then you don't like you don't know how to respond, and half the time you you take the compliments and be like, okay, thanks, and then you read a negative review, and that like crushes you for a month, oh, and, and so oh. it's it's the weird thing of trying to know how to how to accept praise along with uh, <laughs> with the negative comments. Yeah, sometimes it's a balance. Yeah, that you got to do, but uh, it's great. To, I, I think most of the time, people who, who particularly come up and, and express opinions are going to tell you how much they really love it. They they paid the money to to get to where they are. They've spent the time to find you. They're not going to come and tell you, boy, your book sucks. Yeah, no, they usually do that from afar, you know, from yeah. from, their, from their keyboard. <laughs> That's true, because they can hide behind the computer and say all the nasty stuff they want to say, and and you'll never know who they are. Yeah, and again, that's why I think this the idea of just being able to sort of talk directly to the people that are at least. You know, because they backed your project, you know they're at least predisposed to to be interested in what you're doing. So, so that's always nice. Speaking of conventions and stuff like that, now that things are starting to open up a little bit, although there's a there's some of the variants are, are poking around again and, and doing some stuff. How are you as far as doing conventions? Are you planning to do any conventions anytime soon? Well, yeah, actually, I did WonderCon in early April, which is my first real show that I've done in in a couple of years. Um, well, I take that back. I did do I did the Comic Con special edition that they did in San Diego last uh, November, but it wasn't it wasn't a full return. You know, it was kind of <laughs> sparsely attended and sparsely occupied by vendors and publishers. Um, WonderCon felt more like a real show. Like it was it was crowded. The the cosplay scene there was great. Like it, I don't know. It just it felt good to be back, even though you're you're still kind of trepidatious about all of it, even though everybody in there was masked and had to, mm-hmm. you know, show proof of vax and all that. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I, I, it, I, it just felt good. It felt, felt good being back. Cause I, a lot of people like me, I, I miss the conventions. I, I miss the, cause my, when I do a, a, doing the podcast, as I do, I go out and find people to talk with at conventions. Yeah. And I miss that. I miss being able to go and, and, and I would buy people's work to take home and read. And that's how I would fall in love with some of the stuff was when I would actually take the books home oh, and read them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, talking to people about their book and hearing like their passion for the book that they made is, is really infectious. And you just can't get that same feeling online. Like, 
it helps to be in person and, and having that experience. So yeah, I love it. I mean, I was also a special guest at uh, Comic Fest, which is a smaller show in San Diego. It you know it's just held at a hotel. It's kind of trying to be true to the spirit of like the original Comic Con. So there's no Hollywood presence and really no publishers, just creators and vendors and. I don't know. It, right now, at least, you know, who knows where this all goes and who knows if we're all shutting down again. But right now it feels good to be back. That's something to look forward to. I think that uh, do you have more cons in the future? The only one I'm for sure doing um, this summer is Comic-Con in San Diego. You know, beyond that, I'm not sure. Like I, I there's talk about New York in the fall, but I, you know, I don't know yet. But Comic-Con is going to be, you know, the first full Comic-Con in, in almost three years. So. It'll be good. I hope. San Diego is the the granddaddy of all the Comic Cons. Uh, I didn't practice walking before I went to my first one. Boy, was I, I came home exhausted. It took me a week to recover. Yeah, and I mean that's the one thing I like about WonderCon is everything's a bit closer together. The hotels connected to the convention center, so you don't have to log the miles that you do at at Comic Con. Um, but I guess that since we all know that now, as long as we start training now by July, uh, we can be in, in peak convention form. Yeah, that's that's what always gets me is I have to, especially like in San Diego, people may not know. You've got the convention center, but there's other things that go on outside the convention center. Totally. So you're walking up hills and you're going around and you're, you're taking trams and all kinds of stuff. You can't park anywhere, so you gotta you got to take the trams and stuff to get around or have somebody drop you off. Yeah, it's so. uh, it's encroached you know more and more across the city every time it goes on. So it's it's kind of like I don't know if you ever saw that old Frank Miller book Ronin, but there was this this city that every time they showed the city from overhead, it was kind of spreading out and growing more and more. And that's kind of how Comic Con feels is it just feels <laughs> like its tentacles are digging deeper into the city every uh, every time there's a full show. And not everybody there is happy to see. The folks. I mean, I, I think at this point they will be because they've done mm-hmm. two years without the revenue and without the mm-hmm. buzz and without all of it. And so I think even the people that, you know, are resistant to it because of traffic and whatever else, I think will be happy to see it uh, just to see some kind of normalcy resume if if Comic-Con can be considered normal. Mm-hmm. Well, I went to buy a ticket to take the trams. You can buy a week-long ticket, a weekend-long ticket. And I went to buy it, and the lady says, oh, are you here for the convention? I said, yeah, we hate it when you're here. <laughs> and I went, okay. And she said, yeah, oh, we can't even go downtown when you're down here because you guys fill up the whole place. And the contrast of that was I was riding the tram back uh, one night, and there were several ladies who were working in the, the food areas. And I mentioned that this lady had said that. It's oh no, don't believe that. We're thrilled that you're here because we get to work and and we make all kinds of money when you guys come. So keep coming. Yeah, I think that's the prevailing attitude anyway. So it's kind of fun to see that. I give a, a huge kick. It is the I highly recommend if you haven't been to San Diego, go there at least once. I've been there several times and it's uh it's a lot of fun to go and see the creators and and do all kinds of stuff. It just gets you excited about whatever it is you love, like just to see so many people that also love that thing or just to see that they're so passionate about the thing that they love. Like, I just like being around it. Like, I just like being around that sort of geek excitement about whatever it is people are into. Well, it's a shared experience. You're there with people who like what you like. Or even if they don't, like if there's people camping out on the lawn and, you know, getting the sprinklers on them while waiting to see the Twilight panel like happened years ago, 
I think that's great. Like I, I love the fact that people are passionate about stuff and that they're there to see the thing that they love. Like I, I, I don't need people to like everything I like. I just need them to like their thing and be able to enjoy their thing. I think that's just such a cool atmosphere to be in. Well, be ready to stand in lines. The only thing I, I tell people, because I stood in line one time to see a show. They were, they were showing a debut of a show I hadn't seen. And I, we went around for like an hour or two. And then all of a sudden I realized the time was the program was beginning. Oh, yeah. And I said, well, we're not going to make this one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's also fun just to be able to talk about the thing you're passionate about with people who feel the same way. Because mm-hmm. like, I don't know about anybody else's situation, but, you know, at home, my wife doesn't necessarily want to hear about what I think about this comic or that artist or this and that. And so it's fun to, it's fun to just go geek out on stuff. Yeah. That's, I call that a mixed marriage. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I know several people who desperately want to talk to me because I want to talk to somebody about this. And I have, I have one friend who loves nothing better than spoiling things. Wow. See, that's not cool. So I have to, we desperately stay away from that person until we com- we're completely caught up on everything. Yeah. Then we talk with them, <laughs> but it's kind of fun. So, well, that's great. So I guess uh, San Diego is going to be it for this year for you. You think? I mean, maybe New York. There's actually talk of another show that I might attend in Maine um, in the fall, but I, those are still up in the air right now. So San Diego is the only sure thing that's booked up next. So this is going to be representing Syzygy. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, I'll be likely doing some things at the image booth, but also um, we'll have our own booth there, Ashwood and I. And so we'll have, yeah, plenty of copies of the books we've been making through image and Groom Lake will be out. Uh, well, Groom Lake may not be out, um, but we'll at least be able to show, you know, the entirety of it and everything like that. And, and yeah, it'll be fun. So you're going to sell like the first issue as well as the current issue when you go to cons? Um, I probably am going to end up using all the first issues on this campaign. I don't know that I'll have any others left over, but um, <laughs> yeah, I don't like I used to go, you know, I was always with IDW. And so it was like a booth setting, but I wasn't there necessarily for my own stuff as much as just with the company. And so, so yeah, just the idea of tabling more as a creator and small publisher is is exciting just because that's that's something I haven't done in a long time. It's fun for me because when I go through the conventions and stuff, particularly now that I'm reading other more indie creator stuff, it's I come across something and I go, oh, there's that comic. And I go up to them and I say, I really love your comic. And they go, you read it? I say, yeah, I, I, I got it. So they're always kind of in. It's great when you can kind of, like you were talking about, share your enthusiasm with them. Yeah. And then people suddenly feel validated and justified for all the hours they spent, you know, in their rooms or in their studios, uh, just working mm-hmm. in solitude. Yep. Yep. That's, that, that's the bad news about being a creator is that particularly comics is a lot of the stuff is spent on your own. So it's, this is, I, I always think it's good to really reinforce people and tell them, boy, this is a great book. And I, I love to, to do that. And I, this is going to be a great fun book. I have to say, I'm really looking forward to it. And it's it's out on zoop.gg and again it's Groom Lake Gray Skies Above by, by Chris here, Chris Ryle, and also Nelson Daniel. And don't wait, get out there to zoop.gg slash C slash Groom Lake. 
and be able to support it and get there and make sure that this book happens because it sounds like uh, Chris has a lot of great stories to tell and I want to be able to read them all. So be sure to go out and do that. So all I can say is, Chris, this looks like a lot of fun. I can't wait to read this and, and I can't wait to see this get finished and, and see more from you. Well, Wayne, I appreciate it, man. It's been great talking to you. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, from flesh and blood, I can be ignored, I can be destroyed, but as a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. That's it for this week. Be back next time. We'll have another great interview with another terrific comics creator. But until then, keep reading your comics. new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.